Before we get started, um, I just want to ask everyone who's listening, if you find the podcast or this episode helpful, please share, so like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, leave a review if you can. It really helps to get the podcast out to whoever it can help. And um, the easiest way for you guys to help me get more listeners is uh to share it with people that you think it'll help. So um, I really appreciate it. And um, on to the show. This is the Cherished You Podcast. I am your host, Rama. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. It is for educational purposes only. Please consult with your doctor, therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist for more information. Hello, welcome back. So today's episode, I'm going to um, do like a quick hit, you know, um, kind of comparison between, um, ADHD and CPTSD. When, um, one thing I want to say off the top though, is that when I talk about neurodivergence, um, I do not talk about it the way that you might have previously been exposed to it. Um, I don't see it the same way. I have not experienced it the same way, both in myself and on, in other people. And, my principle is this, there are 7.8 plus billion people on the planet. All of our brains do not function the same way. It's impossible for that to be true and to have a survivable, thriving species. Nature just won't allow for that to happen. We cannot all have the same brain. Um, especially when it is uh, a brain in an animal, in an organism that is as advanced and as complex as humans are. And so like with anything, for the most part, I believe brain function falls underneath um, a bell curve. There's the majority of us who may fall into underneath the big part of that bell curve where most of the things that you consider to be quote unquote normal um, is going to fall underneath that. That is what I believe most people call neurotypical. Neurodivergence falls on the edges, either edge of that bell curve. Um, now there might be certain parts of that, um, of that bell curve where, um, certain portions of brain function will be different than others. So for me, I consider autism, ADHD to be on one side of that bell curve. Now, not one side is not any better than the other. It's just what each side of the bell represents. So for me, one side of the bell curve is more autistic, ADHD, autism adjacent, um, situations. So they're neurodivergent in a different sense. They have, they communicate differently. Um, they have, um, they're, uh, their interests are radically different. They communicate differently. They, um, they experience other people very differently than most people underneath the bell curve. 
ADHD for me is the other side of that bell curve. Like they're, they're, um, ADHD and ADHD, they can be similar, but not the same. And a lot of that has to do with how we function in the world. Most ADHDers, and I am, I'm going to respond for me, whenever I am speaking about this kind of thing, I have all of my experience, um, all of my exposure has been with women. Any prolonged exposure I have had always is, is with women. Um, it also happens to be the eldest daughters of families. Um, that's also not, um, that's by accident, actually. It's just over time that I realized that that's the case for me. Um, I tend to attract people like myself, and so it makes sense that that's the case, but um, at the same time, it is um, rather funny that out of all the people that I that know what I do, that I share what I do with, I've almost always worked with one-on-one, um, or even in group settings, actually, with the eldest daughters who are ADHD. And... I have experienced autistic people. There are actually autistic people in my, my dad's side of the family has some, um, light variations of autism that does show up. Um, in some, in a, in a few other cases, there's been some severe autism that has shown up in some relatives, but the ADHD is something that for the most part, and I, and I am talking strictly through the lens of women with men, it is very external, but with women, ADHD is internalized a lot of it. And so they look functional. They are functioning members of society. You don't see where they are struggling for the most part, unless you know them very well and they're willing to share with you. You will not see um, what, um, you know, how they adjust to functioning in the world to make sure that they can um, be safe and secure in their existence. So there's a lot of things that ADHD does that uh, that I think, in my experience, ADHD or autism is more, um, presents more uh, obviously that ADHD does not present with. The other thing in all of this that, and this is what, um, you know, today's episode is about is the presence of complex PTSD in both cases. A lot of complex PTSD and what we know of complex PTSD is, in reference to neurotypical people, most people who kind of fall underneath the big part of that bell curve, who um, all, relatively speaking, function the same. Their brains themselves, structurally, internally, um, you know, if you were to image them, all of that stuff is not the same as the ends of that bell curve. And so they... I think anytime you hear symptoms of something, um, if you are, you know, if you find a new psychological topic that, you know, you come across and you're like, oh, that sounds like me. And then you kind of read into it and more, or you, you know, you listen to more people about it and you kind of feel like this piece is missing. I want you to kind of plant a seed in your mind that you may not fall underneath that bell curve. You may fall all on the edges of that bell curve, which means that, while some of those some of the symptoms and signs might feel familiar all of the things all the pieces of that puzzle will not fit and the pe- and the reason is because um you're trying to put the puzzle together with a certain image in mind when that image is, may not necessarily apply to you. And if you're listening to me, or if you've stumbled upon this somehow, you are most likely falling under the neurodivergent portion of that bell curve. One thing, and another thing I want to make clear, 
there is nothing wrong with you if you are neurodivergent. Neurodivergence it has a very specific function in the evolution of humanity. Just like, um, just like a, a human, humans being able to stand upright is an important evolutionary change from us being, you know, if you were to go further back to being apes and chimpanzees and the, and the like, where we, where we were, when, where the early humans, early versions of humans would be walking on close to all fours, there is a reason that humans now walk upright. We're able to hold up our entire body weight on two square feet of space. That is incredibly different than almost any other animal that exists on the planet. Almost every other animal has four feet. We don't. There is a reason for that. That evolution exists for a very particular reason. That reason is our brain. At this point, physically, we have pretty much evolved to what we are going to be. Our internal body is a very complex mix of tubes and organs and systems that are all work together yet never interconnect. And if I ever have time, and I, I honestly thought this podcast would be the place where I would be able to do this, but if I ever have time to go into my wonder of what the human body is able to do and how it's able to function and how it is the way that it is, I will go into that. But um, we, like physically speaking, our bodies have evolved as much as they're going to evolve. The only space that is left is our brains. Our, the way our brains are currently constructed with the frontal lobe being the way that it is and it being kind of back heavy with the parietal and occipital lobes and all, all, all the way that our brain is currently functioned and the way that these pieces, the, the lobes themselves and the organ itself kind of functions with the rest of the body, that is really where nature has some room to evolve us with. That is really the only space where we have anything with. So it makes sense that not all brains are going to look, feel, and sound the same. It just doesn't, it, it logically, you cannot tell me that everyone's going to be a carbon copy of each other because that's literally not the case. If that was the case, then you have two identical twins who are raised in the same household with the same parents, with the same everything, they should be able to come out exactly the same and they don't. So if it doesn't happen with identical twins who have exactly the same DNA, there is obviously a very heavy element that applies to how you perceive what is happening to you, how you perceive everything around you. And that, that perception happens through your brain. And if you can't tell, I've been obsessed with the brain since I was three years old. And, um, in all the evolutions of what I wanted to be when I grew up, it makes sense that I ended up here because this allows me to learn about everything that could possibly affect the brain and how we get to where we are. Our brains are the only thing that differentiate us, uh, us from another human. Physically, we all are relatively speaking the same. Um, but how we think, how we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view ourselves in the world, all of that is completely dependent on the space between our ears. This thing that hasn't existed for all that long in the grand scheme of history is what makes each of us an individual. It's what determines each of us on how we go through life. And what is really important to understand that neurodivergence is is part of that evolutionary process. It doesn't make sense that we would all have exactly the same um, amount of neurotransmitters being produced by our brain so that we're always at the same um, 
you know, uh, having the same emotional sensitivity and emotional um, regulation as somebody else. It doesn't make sense that that would be the case. Um, it doesn't make sense that we would all perceive our environment exactly the same way because what happens if we miss something? We would all die. So it makes sense that some people perceive the, the, their environment in one way, and then there's a, you know this other group of people that perceives their environment a completely different way, but they're complementary. Because what one sees, the other can't, and vice versa. So that's how we keep each other safe, as much as we keep ourselves safe. And so divergence of any kind from the norm, while the world currently will tell you that there's something wrong with you, there isn't. You have an evolutionary purpose. You exist for a reason. You see the world the way that you do for a reason. And yes, part of that, as I will go on further to talk about, part of that has to do with um, you know, what you've been through, your trauma, your experience, your childhood, um, anything that's come after that. And also part of it is you, you, you are something that kind of clicks a larger puzzle into place. Your existence is helping not only yourself, but people around you. And you are an asset to other people, even if they cannot see it. And hopefully you are around at least one person who can see that you, the way that you view things, the way that you experience things is important and provides value. But in the event that you're not, or in the event that you feel that you're not, I want you to know in this moment that you exist for a reason. And while you may feel isolated and ostracized and alone, you have a function both for yourself and for the world at large, for humanity at large. So do not discount how you see things. Okay, so one thing I kind of want to, uh, now that I have like all that stuff out of the way, before I really dive into ADHD versus CPTSD, because I think it's important to understand um, why it's so difficult if you have ADHD, especially if you're a woman or someone who identifies as a woman with ADHD, how hard it is to heal from narcissistic trauma in particular, but from complex PTSD because, because of the overlap in the symptoms. But I want to also preface that whole conversation with my favorite question that drives most people nuts. Um, because we like to, uh, our brains do like binaries, you know, it does like to have like, if this is left then this is right, if this is black then this is white, black and white thinking is very, very safe for your brain. However, one thing I learned in medical school and I can, and, and it is the one thing that has stuck with me, I think more so than anything else is that normal is a relative term. What is normal depends on your exposure depends on your experience, depends on you. And here's what I mean by that. For me, it is normal on, this is just something silly, but we're gonna go with that. For me, it is normal to cook with at least 10 spices on any given thing. I think the only thing I only use like basic salt and pepper on is eggs. But pretty much, and even then, that's kind of iffy because it depends what kind of eggs I'm making. But 
It's always been normal for me to see a spice cabinet full of a whole bunch of spices and to use them all regularly. Like I, having a spice go bad is not something that I understand. Like I, I don't get it. I don't understand how that happens. Um, there are people who have never used anything other than salt and pepper and pepper is stretching it. Like that is a, that is their normal. Now, just because it's normal for, for them, what's normal for them does not make me abnormal. It's just my lens is different. And just because uh, my normal is not theirs doesn't make them weird. It's just their lens is different. Their perspective, their experience, their knowledge is different. So what I really want, like to, in order to have this conversation so that we're all on the same page it's important to understand that normal is a relative term and you need to redefine normal as what you know, what you know is normal. So anything beyond that is going to be different. Now, whether or not you choose to adopt the different, if you choose to embody the different is up to you. But for the most part, what we, what is, what is my normal? What is your normal is really just, what do you know? What have you always been exposed to that you don't think twice about? What, it, what is something that if somebody challenged you on, you'd be like, oh wait, that's, that's not true for you. I thought it was true for everybody. Okay. So let's just understand that that's where we're at. Um, and I think another question that's going to come up because I know that I've thought this question. So I figure that if I thought it, I'm not all that unique. Somebody else has probably thought this question too. I do not want this conversation to minimize the uniqueness of your brain. And this is also a conversation I've had with myself because I always found that in the early parts of my recovery, and actually it still comes up for me sometimes, um, actually, and I can even say earlier this year, it came up for me again, is that what if I, what if I heal the neurodivergence out of me, then what's going to be special about me? Because the only thing that I felt that was ever special about me was my brain. I was smart. I, well, I am smart, but you know, for me, like, you know, if we're talking about, you know, pre healing me, um, I was smart and I could pick things up really fast. I could learn almost anything if I wanted to. And even if I didn't want to, in some cases I would learn it. And I, um, and I loved the way that I thought. I loved the connections that my brain would make on things that most people would not pick up on. And, and at least in my experience, when I would say that loud, most people would not pick up on the connections that I would pick up on. And I love that about myself. And I, that, I felt like that made me unique. I felt that made me different. I, fe I felt that made me memorable. And when I first started working through the ADHD parts of me, I felt like I was losing that part of myself, that uniqueness about myself. The thing that made me me, I felt that I was losing her, losing those parts anyway. And the thing is that, and you know, this will make more sense as I go forward, but is it that my brain is different? My, is my brain different because my brain is different 
or is my brain different because of the shit that it's been through? And there's really no way to answer that question because it's a chicken and egg kind of thing. We don't, we don't know. We, there is, I don't have a version of me that exists that does, doesn't have intergenerational trauma, that didn't have a narcissistic mother, that didn't have all, like the, the systems and the systems of oppression that currently exist. Like I don't have a version of me that exists without all of those things. And so I don't know what, I, what my brain would have looked like in an environment that didn't have all of those things. But I do know that my brain has done its very, very best to keep me alive. To help me get through the shit that I have been through, it has done its very, very best. So if I feel, I feel like while there are certain things about my brain that make me unique, I don't think that my uniqueness is dependent on them. What makes me special isn't necessarily dependent on what my brain can do. And this has been a, it's a process for me. I still haven't quite gone to a complete place of acceptance with this because I still, um, I, I mean, I, I, I still like living inside my head. It's a fun, for me, it's a fun place to be. Um, for a long time, it was a safe place for me to be, but, um, I do, feel like the more I explore my creativity in different, in different parts of my life, the more I'm able to, um, I guess, accept myself with or without the, you know, the trauma brain that I may or may not have. And this will make more sense now that I'm going to go into it. Um, like I mentioned before, briefly ADHD and CPTSD and CPTSD, for those who don't know, stands for complex PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And CPTSD is different than just regular PTSD. PTSD is what we normally associate with people who have gone through war or have gone through, um, you know, like the, like the situation in, um, in Palestine and that just happened with, um, Hamas and the bombings and in Israel and all that. It's just, that is something that is a sing like it's a singular traumatic event that, um, a lot of these, a lot of the people who were there are going to be dealing with. Um, there are, um, you know, very set symptoms. You see these in war veterans a lot, the flashbacks, the, um, the, the anxiety, excuse me, the, the, the very quote unquote typical PTSD that you've seen portrayed in movies and TV shows and that kind of a deal. That's what PTSD is. Usually starts from a singular traumatic event. Complex PTSD comes from smaller, but repeated traumas over time. Um, and narcissistic abuse uh, survivors often experience complex PTSD. Um, and this is more, um, again, these are more adaptive, uh, neurological responses, um, than PTSD is PTSD almost is a complete flight or flight response. Um, it's a singular event. Your body's trying to process it and all the things that come up with around that event. Um, with the repeated trauma and the complex PTSD, it's more on the, the fawn and, um, 
freeze side of things, um, of the, of the stress responses. So you've, uh, because it's a repeated trauma and they're relatively minor, I mean, there's nothing huge that's happening. There's nothing so much that your brain is like almost breaking in a way. Um, but it's small little cuts over time that never heal. And so you do end up being hurt, just as hurt, if not in some cases more, but it's, um, it's also a wound that never heals. So it's an unhealed wound on top of an unhealed wound. And it's just, and it festers and it, it, it digs in deep and it kind of starts to necrose ne 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 onto itself. And that's where the more problematic responses come in and the, you know, the unexplained irritability, the, um, dissociation, when you have complex PTSD and you're trying to kind of like, there's a, there's just that low level anxiety and it's not really low. I don't mean, I don't mean to say low in the sense of that it's negligible. I mean, like, it's kind of like a baseline anxiety that always exists within you. Um, in, in my case, it was always a baseline depression that always existed that, um, I didn't realize, um, until way later in my life, um, I could live, there could be moments of time where I don't have it. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a different, uh, it's a different presentation. It's a different set of signs and symptoms, even though they both have PTSD in the name. And the complex part is really important because it is adaptive. It is a set of uh, behaviors that you as the person who's going through the repeated traumas um, takes on these behaviors to adapt to, to your environment, to adapt to the repeated traumas that you're experiencing that you really have no way of getting out of. What does tend to happen is that you do reach a breaking point. Eventually, um, there is some part of you that, um, cracks almost. And, 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 and actually in, in my experience, both with myself and with my clients, what I've noticed is that usually there is some level, there's actually, um, you create some sort of external safety for yourself that you feel like you need before you can leave the situation that's causing the trauma. Um, the, like the source of your complex PTSD. So there is, um, like, I know for me, like for me, I remember like, it was like, once my car was paid off, I was able to, I, I felt like I wasn't beholden to my, to my mother anymore. And once that happened, even though I was, I still had a relationship with her when I did have to go no contact, I was able to, because of that little, just a little sliver of safety that was, that had existed for me. And I was like, you know what? I can take care of myself. I just needed this one thing. Okay. I can go for some people it's getting married and they're having a spouse and they're having, you know, another safe place to go to. Um, for some people it's getting a job and being able to get a stable job that's being able like, so, so that they can pay for their own living. Um, you know, so it just depends. I mean, your context is going to be different, but there's usually just in the midst of all this trauma, there's just one sliver of safety. That's really, really important to you. And once you have that, it may take, it's not like an immediate thing. It's not like once you have it, then you leave or, you know, once you have it, you can, you know, all of a sudden you feel like you can go, but once you have it, it plants a seed that lets you, um, grow and gives you room to be like, okay, if I do need to leave the situation, I can. And that is, um, 
it's 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 an important um piece to understand because complex PTSD has a lot of like overlapping symptoms with ADHD. And what's funny is that when I was doing research for this episode, I was actually kind of shocked that there is no direct, like no one, I've seen this online, but I guess no one's actually put it together in some sort of like presentation or book or something like that. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't out there. Um, or at least the, the corners of the internet that I searched, I didn't find it in. And I'm pre- I'm pretty good at internet searching. So I feel like if I could have found it, I would have found it. Um, but maybe there's like one singular person who's talking about this in this way. And that's why I didn't find them. Um, the internet is very large, but they are, um, there is no actual like material, around no blog posts, no PDFs, no images, nothing that I could find, um, except for a couple of reels on, in, on Instagram and some TikToks, um, around people actually doing this, um, like comparison between ADHD and complex PTSD. They have so many similar symptoms. Um, the irritability, the low threshold for people, the, the quote unquote introvertness, um, the lack of boundaries, um, all like the people pleasing aspects of it. A lot of this stuff overlaps so heavily, the masking versus, you know, um, the masking versus people pleasing, you know, there's kind of like two same terms for the same, different terms for the same thing. And there actually is not a lot of direct comparison between these two things. And that's fascinating to me because when I started my own journey, and I, and like, I came across complex PTSD first. And I think maybe for me that worked out in my favor because had I come across ADHD first and realized that I had, I had ADHD before I realized I had complex PTSD, I don't know if I would have healed the way that I have because of I, because at the time of my attachment and like, and I, like I explained this earlier, I still have this attachment to wanting to feel like my brain is unique. So that need to keep that, that story true for me, I don't think would have allowed me to heal my, 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 my PT, my, the complex PTSD, because I would have identified it as part of the ADHD. And if I, healed the AD, if I quote unquote healed the ADHD, um, then somehow I was losing a part the biggest, most important part of myself. Um, I don't know if I would have, um, gotten nearly as far, um, in, in that, in my healing at all, had I come across ADHD first, um, before I came across, um, complex PTSD. As luck would have it, I came across complex PTSD first. Ironically, not from my therapist at the time. Um, And this is why I think talk therapy does not work for a lot of people, especially if you are neurodivergent and you have complex PTSD. Um, Granted, this therapist was was a relatively new therapist at the time, but you you know what you know. And she, um, while she helped me in a lot of ways, uh, talk, she was like my third or fourth attempt at doing talk therapy. And 
in some respects it helped, but in, um, in most other respects, it really felt like an indulgent waste of my time and money. <laughs> um, because I'd never felt like I was making progress. The one difference with this, this last, my, my last talk therapist, uh, therapist was that, um, I was able to get some of the, you know, um, mental gunk out of my brain. So I did a lot of like word vomit with her. I remember, um, a lot of venting, um, and that allowed me to kind of, it was kind of like, it's kind of like a pressure cooker, you know, you kind of blow the steam off a little bit and I was able to kind of get to learning about new things. And, um, while I didn't come across complex PTSD through my therapist, I did talk about it with her. Um, and you know, she didn't know about it at the time. And I think this was relatively new. So we're talking about, um, 20, 11, 2012, 2012. And it, yeah, 20, I think it was 2012. So this is almost 10, 10, 11 years ago. And it was like, I hadn't heard of complex PTSD at all back then. It did exist in some corners, but it, not everybody was aware of it. And it, it wasn't, you know, it, I don't think it was nearly as, um, uh, fleshed out as it is now as it just happens over time and more exposure and more people talk about it and that kind of a deal. Um, more people work with it, but I, I did end up talking to it about w with her. And again, her, her limited knowledge of it did impair those conversations in some way for me, but it did give me a rabbit hole to go down. And that's the ADHD part where I was like, Ooh, I found this thing. I must find the answer. And, um, I, you know, I started realizing, you know, and I realized I was like, oh, okay, so a lot of the stuff that I do, a lot of the ways that I behave is our trauma responses. Okay. So that gave me something concrete to work with. And that was helpful. Um, so it helps to know that, you know, the anxiety, the depression were trauma responses rather than there being something wrong with me, which is what I had felt up in my life up until that point. Uh, which I think a lot of people with depression, with mental illness in general, feel that way about themselves. And this was also toward the end of med school for me. So I was really coming to terms with the fact that, um, the way that I wanted, uh, you know, I was coming like there's all this shit has happened to me in my life and I've gone through all this stuff and I'm trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden I have this big giant decision where I need to figure out, Hey, is medicine really for me? I've worked my ass off to try to get to this point. And it turns out that this isn't what it was cracked up to be. I'm not going to be able to help people the way that I thought I was going to when I, you know, after, you know, when I thought I, when I got into this and it's expensive and it's going to be more expensive and more time consuming. And there's no guarantee that I get a spot. There's no guarantee I get to get licensed. None of that's a guarantee. So, um, that was, um, learning about the complex PTSD actually helped me, um, transition from being, uh, a medical student, uh, you know, medical school graduate to health coach. That's what my first original iteration of myself was. And I also think it was helpful that at the same time I had learned about nutrition for the first time, stuff I didn't learn about in school. Medical school doesn't teach you about nutrition. Um, and it made sense that I fell into all of this stuff at the same time. And again, 
I'm always grateful that I came across complex PTSD first before I came across ADHD because um, I don't know where I would be had it been the other way around. But the one thing to understand about both situations is that both of these conditions, both of these responses, brain responses really, are adaptations to unmet childhood needs. So my complex PTSD was a result of my childhood narcissistic abuse, right? The ADHD is almost what happens to your brain under prolonged pressure. So the, like, you know, the trauma responses are one thing. And then the ADHD is almost how your brain adapts to that trauma in a way. Now, admittedly, I do resonate more with Dr. Gabor Mate's interpretation of ADHD than, um, the more mainstream versions. And he's gotten more mainstream, I think over time, over the past five, six years than he was, um, when I first came across him like 10 years ago. But I do recognize that ADHD, I feel like I, I do resonate with the fact that ADHD is a, um, is a trauma in, in a way it's a very, um, a very large trauma response, <laughs> but I also think that it does tend to fundamentally change how your brain is wired for lack of a better term, meaning that the way that your lobes connect with each other, the way that those connections are formed as you're growing up, um, not even so much as how you behave, but literally how the tracks between your lobes and between the rest of your body, like those nerves and those nerve pathways, the neural pathways, all that stuff is formed, I think is fundamentally changed in people with neuro, who are neurodivergent versus those who are not. And a lot of that has to do with whether or not your childhood needs were met at the appropriate time and if you were able to appropriately develop over time, I will say this much. I did not, I did not, my brain was, did not appropriately develop over time. I learned a lot of things really late in life. I have always proclaimed myself to be a late bloomer. I didn't know how to properly talk on the phone until I was like a sophomore or junior in college. And even then I didn't do it very well. Um, I, um, didn't know how to really take care of myself. Like I did chores and stuff when I was growing up, but I didn't know how to really take care of myself until I was in my twenties. Um, that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, I knew how to do like, like I, I knew how to cook, but I didn't know how to cook for myself. I didn't know how to put a meal together. I could make it, I could make the meal just fine, but I didn't know how to put it together until I was in my twenties. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to think for myself really until I was in my twenties. That's like, again, a lot of these things that aren't true for a lot of other people, at least the seeds are, for these things are planted way early on. And so, um, the other, the other thing that kind of connects all this is that CPTSD usually is, you know, in this lifetime kind of deal, you know, um, most people who have CPTSD, even if they got, you know, if, even if it is a result of childhood trauma, it's a, you know, this, this turn around the sun, this time, this lifetime. 
ADHD, I, I do believe, is a result of intergenerational trauma. Meaning that if you have ADHD, it's because your mother before you was traumatized, her mother before her was, and so was her mother before her. So all of those seeds, and literally I'm talking about like the egg (laughs) that was planted within, you know, the three generations before you, because if you're, if you exist, your grandmother had your egg. Uh, so the, the seeds that, that exist within you were in your grandmother. So at least three generations worth of trauma. And I know that exists for me. I know it exists for my clients. You go back at least three generations. And I think that the ADHD, the neurodivergence is almost expected because when you go through that much trauma, that much cumulative drama, a trauma that doesn't have a chance to resolve itself or get resolved or processed, it, it makes sense that when it comes, when, when your chance to get to exist came about, you had to have a different brain to deal with all of that backlog. Like it, a normal brain wouldn't have been able to handle all that. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, um, like, you know, for me it does. (laughs) And if that doesn't make sense, honestly, um, I would love to hear from you guys because it's, um, it's sometimes hard, especially when I'm talking to a microphone by myself and not having any direct feedback from, from people's faces or, you know, thoughts and, you know, mumblings or whatever. It's really hard to tell if, um, if what I'm saying makes sense and is resonating. So there is that component to it too. I think CPTSD can be, can be very immediate because even adults who go through narcissistic abuse will experience complex PTSD and it does cause brain changes. And I like, I I know there's this little thing that goes around on the internet where it causes brain damage. I think brain changes is more (laughs) accurate because damage implies that, um, somehow you're broken. And I, I mean, trauma of any kind is not fun to go through. It's not a pleasurable experience. Um, but we are adaptable beings and it's, I don't know. I have, I have an issue with the word brain damage. I just don't think that if you're going through something traumatic that you should come out exactly the same as what you went in with. It just doesn't make any sense. And yes, it is something that is harmful and hurtful and does cause, um, pain and wounds, but, and, but does that mean that you're broken as a result of it? No, but you are changed as a result of it. And I think that is, a normal and expected response of going through anything good or bad, by the way, um, just depending on how you look at it. And so all of that to say like, okay, so CPTSD is more this lifetime, this spin around the, uh, around the rock. And then ADHD is, can be cumulative over multiple generations. I do think that that does show up because I have met people in my life who have gone through childhood narcissistic abuse, but it was the first time they went through it. Um, like they were, their parents didn't have, didn't go through that, but they did. And they don't, um, 
they don't show as much of the ADHD markers that I see in people who have um, their mother and their grandmother and possibly her mother before her um, who have gone through um, abusive situations Um, or just narcissistic abuse, but any kind of abuse really. And also I think that it makes sense that there's so many women in particular with ADHD now or neurodivergence of any kind because there have been generations of women who have been traumatized that have not had the time or the space or the luxury, really, the privilege of being able to heal that trauma. Um, So if it seems like everybody has ADHD now, especially with women, if it feels like every woman you know has ADHD now, she might. Because she's not the first one in her line of, in in the women in her family to go through this shit. She's not the first one. I promise you that. So there is kind of, again, this is a chicken and an egg thing. It's kind of, a lot of this stuff is hard to completely disperse. There is, there's a lot of gray area here. And while the brain loves black and white, we need to remember that this is a very, very gray area. And so all of this is not going to resonate and that's fine. But do understand that this is really complex and there's so many factors at play that we may never really have the answer to is ADHD and CPTSD, are they similar, not the same, two sides of the same coin, two very different conditions? Like, we don't know. We really might never know. It's really hard to tell. Um, the, the other thing I do want to bring to mind, like just bring to the forefront, and I think this will probably be the last little bit for now before I go into the next part. Like I said, I have a lot to say about this and I might come back to this topic at another time, um, but I kind of don't want to keep making this episode like super duper long. Um, but there is a difference between female and male ADHD. Male ADHD is what we have traditionally thought of what ADHD looks like. The hyperactive, bouncing off the walls, talking really fast, doing different things, always distracted kind of prototype is the male ADHD. Um, or if you identify as male, we're just, uh, when I say male, I mean, however you choose, whether it's gender or not is irrelevant to me. It's just traditionally, this is what ADHD looks like. It's a very male centric, you know, kind of presentation of it. Female ADHD is almost always internalized. So all of the symptoms, signs and symptoms that you see in a, in a quote unquote boy or, you know, whoever identifies as a boy, they're that ADHD, what you traditionally think of as ADHD is externalized. So they're imposing it on their external environment. That's a very male way of going through the world. Females internalize everything. And this also means like, if you identify as a female, you will do this that way too. Even if, you know, your body it looks not like a traditional female. I don't care. But if you, female ADHD is internalized. So all of that anxiety, all of that anxiousness, all of that excess energy and um, all of it is internalized. That's why we present as if we're completely functional people and then people are shocked that this woman has ADHD. Like, holy crap, how did that happen? Because we don't think of medicine traditionally is really directed toward the white man 
like most things in this world. And so when a woman presents with something differently, they're told, oh, right, it's your hormones. How many times have most of us thought that that's what, what our problem is when we lose our top around PMS? Not knowing that, yes, while our hormones are different, if you have ADHD, your PMS will look absolutely different than somebody who doesn't have ADHD. Your experience, like how, if you're going through menopause, your, your ADHD will look completely different than it did during your childbearing years. If you have cancer that affects your hormones, like breast cancer, uterine cancer, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, any of those things, it will completely change how you respond to your treatments almost as well as how your brain is going to respond to what you are going through because your brain is now impacted by these hormonal fluctuations, which are, you know, already cause a complete change in behavior, whether or not you had the different brain to deal with. So female versus male does make a difference here. It actually makes a difference all the time. But again, most of medicine, particularly psychiatry and psychology is geared toward men and how do men feel? Not that they're going to do anything about it, but it is male centric. So it is really important to understand that if you do not present that way, that does not mean that you don't, that you don't qualify. It's just that you, your, your presentation has not been studied and women, women's problems are always, always written off to either their hormones. Oh, let's fix your hormones because you're supposed to fix fluctuating hormones. Our hormones are not a problem for the most part. They do fluctuate on a month to month basis versus on like, you know, the male schedule, which is on a day to day basis, but you're, it's either blamed on your hormones or blamed on your weight. Neither one of those things has anything to do with ADHD. But ADHD can make both of those things really, really hard to deal with. And so that's really important to remember is, again, the lens at which I've, all this is coming with you at. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just you are not understood, even by the powers that be, especially by the powers that be. So a lot of us are kind of resigned to having to learn this shit on our own. Like I had to do, like a lot of my clients have had to do. It's really hard to find the right therapist that isn't going to cost an arm and a leg when you're working full time and have a family. Like there's too many things at play here. And again, that's why it's really hard to know whether or not the answer is is ADHD and CPTSD, are they the same thing? Are they different things? Do they present differently? I do firmly believe that your brain, when you have ADHD, your brain does function differently, fundamentally, meaning that the pathways that connect your, the different lobes, your brain and the order in which your brain perceives information, um, is different than a neurotypical. Now, would that have been the case? had you not had the intergenerational trauma and then the childhood trauma that you went through, there's no way to know. There just isn't. And if this is frustrating, it's supposed to be. <laughs> I am not, this is, I am not by any means trying to provide the answers. I am just trying to provide information because a lot of this is frustrating. There is no clear answer. When you're healing complex PTSD, 
when you're working on healing ADHD, it is really hard, I think, to separate ourselves from our conditions. And like I, I, like I mentioned before, I have a hard time with this. I love things about me that, that, are, that happen to be ADHD. I also know those same things are really, can be really problematic for the people around me. I have to find a balancing act between, you know, is, it, is this helping me or harming me in the long term? These things that I'm attached to, are they helpful or are they harmful? And when I'm in a good space and I, and I look and function like everybody else, um, it feels like I'm losing a part of myself. But am I? In retrospect, not really. I am still who I am. And, you know, it's, um, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of hard for me to verbalize completely, but it's, um, you are who you are with or without your conditions. And I don't want anyone to get too attached to a pathology especially if it impacts their relationship with themselves or their important relationships in their life. Because nothing is more important than those relationships, all of them, including the one with yourself. But if the one with yourself is impacted by whether or not you qualify for a diagnosis, I think you're limiting yourself. And really, that's really kind of the bottom line of everything that I talked about today is whether you're dealing with complex PTSD and it's a lot of trauma responses that come from going through, you know, having, not having your childhood needs met because your parents were emotionally unavailable in some way, shape or form. And, you know, when you, and I've talked about this in actually previous episodes, but when you have a bunch of trauma responses and you try and you know, you start healing it and then you realize, holy crap, my entire personality is a trauma response. Who am I? Instead of being scared about maybe not knowing who you are, use it as an opportunity to choose to become who you want. If every, if most of your person, if most of your quote unquote personality is a trauma response, and this is true for a lot of survivors of childhood abuse, if most of your personality is a childhood response, you actually have an opportunity that most adults do not, and may not even be capable of embracing had it, would it, if it was presented to them. You get to build yourself from scratch. You get to choose what you want to be. You get to choose what kind of person, what kind of traits make up who you are. And that's a gift. Is it hard? Of course it is. Nothing worth doing isn't hard. Is it work? Absolutely. It is work. It is labor. And anybody who says otherwise is lying to you. It is labor to build yourself up from scratch but that does not mean that it's not a gift. So if you're really attached to your trauma or if you're really attached to your ADHD, wherever you are on that spectrum, because it is a spectrum, or if you're you know, doing both, because that's also possible, just recognize that you're neither of those things. You're neither your trauma nor are you your ADHD. 
but you do have an opportunity to pick and choose what you want to be, what you want to be, to embody, to live like. And then you work to get there and whatever you need to do to do that. And I'll talk about that in later episodes. Like I said, this is going to be a little bit of a series. There's a lot I have to say about this. And when I started mapping all this out, it was a lot of information, which also ironically, um, kind of stressed me out to the point where I was procrastinating on it because I'm like, oh, wow, I have a lot to say. I guess I'm not going to say anything at all. (laughs) So just so you know, we're all human. We're all doing the best that we can. Um, thanks so much for listening today. I know it was really long. I really do appreciate it if you made it all the way to the end. And I am really looking forward to talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Cherished You podcast. If you could please leave me a review, um, subscribe and share. It really helps get the podcast out to those who it will help the most.